Hello, and welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church Extras Podcast with your host, Senior Pastor John Sauer. This is week six of the Moses Legacy. Thanks for joining us today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Stonebridge Extras. I am Pastor John, the senior pastor of Stonebridge Community Church. And Stonebridge Extras is a podcast that we do periodically throughout the year. Um, We try to pair it with a sermon series. And what this is, is all of the material that just didn't make it into the sermon. This is those interesting little rabbit trails that I couldn't run down, um, that I still think people would want to hear about and want to see. So if you want to dive a little bit deeper, then this is the podcast for you. And this week, our sermon focused on Moses at Sinai, which really represents a change in the direction of Moses' story. We get away from all of the interesting stories that we've had before, the burning bush. We get away from the plagues and that kind of narrative. And we start getting into law and biblical law. One of the most fascinating things to me in the Bible is biblical law. And it's not just that I I think it's interesting in and of itself. I think it's so fascinating because of the way the New Testament reflects on biblical law. And I don't think that we really understand the Gospels without understanding biblical law. And I think this is a bigger problem in the church than we give it credit for. Because I firmly believe that you can't really understand the Gospels if you don't understand the biblical laws that they were responding to and referring to. The number one source for the Gospels, besides just the life of Jesus, is biblical law. And that's true for all of the Gospels. In this podcast today, what I'm going to be doing is talking about the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and taking you through briefly the different ways in which each one views biblical law. And really, each one, the way each one uses biblical law. Because once we do this, I think it, help, it will help you understand why I think biblical law is so important. And why I believe we can't really understand the gospels unless we understand biblical law. Now, we can't understand it perfectly, but we have to have a grasp of the law. And let me just define terms real quick. When I say law, what I'm referring to isn't just Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. What I'm really referring to at this point is what I would call the legal texts in those books. So we're talking Exodus about chapter 19 through 30 or so in there. We're talking Exodus 35 to about 40. sorry, 25 to about 40, the the end of Exodus. And then we're talking all of the book of Leviticus and then specific portions of the book of Numbers. And we're talking about Deuteronomy. And this is those parts where it's saying, do this and don't do that. Do this and don't do that. Or sacrifice this animal in this way and do this with the animal in that way. Or don't touch this part of the animal as you sacrifice it. All of those portions that I think people gloss over and think that they're boring. 
the Gospels rely on them to a very high degree. So let's begin with Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew, I believe, has the most direct relationship to the law. And when I say direct, what I mean is in terms of actual quotations that Matthew uses, the law is represented more than any other book in the Bible. It's not even close, actually. Matthew relies heavily on the exact words of biblical law. In Matthew 5, 17, Jesus has this quote where he says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill. That's essentially Matthew's view. That Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Not the discrediting of the law. Not that Jesus sets the law aside, but he fulfills it and restates it for us. So in Matthew 5 through 7, the way Matthew presents this material, this speech of Jesus is called the Sermon on the Mount, is that this is a restatement of the law. Matthew has gone to great lengths to help us understand that Jesus is a new Moses. And that when Jesus goes up on the sermon, or sorry, up on the mount to deliver the sermon, that's similar to when Moses went up to Mount Sinai. There are parallels there. And then when Jesus teaches and gives a a new presentation of the law, that's like Moses proclaiming the law to Israel. There's all sorts of allusions there in Matthew 5 through 7 and the beginning of Matthew, helping us to understand that this is the interpretation of the law that we are to follow. Jesus, in this section, has a bunch of statements where he says, you have heard that it was said, and then he gives some sort of proclamation about the law. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you. Now, some have interpreted that as Jesus throwing the law out, but that's not the correct way of looking at it. When Jesus is saying, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you, he's putting himself forward as the authoritative teacher of the law. He's not discarding the law. He's saying, you have heard that it was said this, but I'm interpreting it to you as this. And instead of Jesus discarding it, he's typically going deeper with the value that was the law. So, for instance, an eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth. That was in place so that there could be a sense of reciprocal justice. It was really there so that there would be fairness. But Jesus says, no, turn the other cheek. He deepens the value and says we don't even need fairness anymore. God's justice will reign out. So we don't have to do eye for an eye anymore. It's a deepening there. That's, I think, important to realize. Matthew's view of the law and the way Jesus talks in the Gospel of Matthew, it isn't that the law is negative or bad. It's that Jesus fulfills it, deepens it, and reinterprets it for us so that we can be Jesus' followers. So that's Matthew's view of the law. And it's hardest to have a negative view of the law when you're reading the Gospel of Matthew than the other Gospels. Now, Mark's view of the law is, is, is a little similar, but there are some differences there. It's not nearly as prominent, the, the law is not nearly as prominent 
in Mark as it is in Gath, as, as it is, excuse me, as it is in Matthew. In fact, Mark doesn't even use the Greek term for law, which is nomos. But the world of the law is still there. And really, Mark's goal in presenting Jesus was to present Jesus as the Son of God, as good news. And Mark isn't as focused on presenting Jesus' attitudes toward the law. But it was impossible to talk about Jesus as a son of God without talking about the law. Because that was just the world that the gospel came out of. A writer named William Loder has made this point, a New Testament scholar. It's really impossible for the gospel of Mark to talk about the good news that Jesus presents without talking about the law. So in Mark, it's more that the law is there to help us understand who Jesus is. The law is there as a tool to interpret Jesus as the Son of God. And you can't understand God or God's intentions without understanding the law. So there's one exchange where Jesus talks about washing your hands um, and, and how it's, it's not as important um, in the way that the Pharisees think it is um, or in the way the scribes and the way the traditions are there. And what Jesus does there is he doesn't really unravel the law or discard it, but he puts it in its appropriate place. Jesus stands above the law. Jesus is the authority for the law in the Gospel of Mark. And that's what Mark is really focused on when it comes to the law. When we get to the Gospel of Luke, again, the law is important, but Luke emphasizes more the, the way the law functions in the terms of the narrative of the gospel. So what do I mean by that? Well, if you go and read the very opening chapters of the gospel of Luke, you learn that uh, John the Baptist's father is a priest. He follows all of the priestly laws. He's living out the priestly laws. And at the same time, Luke makes sure that we know that Mary and Joseph follow the laws, that, that they follow the law of God as well. For Luke, it was very important that this gospel begin with people who uphold the law, who care about the law. That's one of the ways Luke uses the law in his gospel, is helping us to see that the people that basically created John the Baptist and our Lord Jesus were law observant. They did not discard the law. The other thing that Luke does is he'll bring up a question about law and then he'll answer it with a narrative or like a point of tension about the law and then he'll answer it with a narrative. For instance, the parable of the Good Samaritan, which I preached on a few months before, is a really good example of this. That parable arises from a question about the law. And the question basically is, who is my neighbor? Because the summary of the law is love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And then a lawyer challenges Jesus and says, well, who is my neighbor? And then Luke has Jesus conveying, us, conveying this parable to us, this story, this narrative. So 
For Luke, a lot of the work of the law is done in story form. But it's still just as important. If we don't understand the debates about the law, then we can't really understand the parables and stories that Jesus uses to explain the law. It's like we take the answer, but we aren't actually looking at the question that gave rise to the answer. We, we miss that context. But when we do that, we understand that loving our neighbor, it's not negotiable. That loving somebody who's like a Samaritan, who should be our enemy, that that's actually our neighbor, we don't get to debate that. That's the law. That's God's law. And if we want to be God's people, we want to follow Jesus, then that's what we do. So that's the way Luke uses the law. Um, it's not as much direct quotes as it was with Matthew. Um, and Luke isn't as concerned with the question of Jesus's authority and placing Jesus in authority over the law. But Luke uses it more to confirm who Jesus is and then to show us concretely how we are to live as Jesus' followers by, by observing the law in the way Jesus models for us through actions and through the stories and parables Jesus uses. When we get to the Gospel of John, we see a shift. Now, I said at the beginning of this that the Gospels rely on the law, that they quote the law regularly. And it's true, they do, but it's really only true of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are much more similar to each other than they are to the Gospel of John. They, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic Gospels because they're connected to each other. They use a lot of the same material. Um, they're much more closely aligned. When we get to the Gospel of John, we actually don't have any direct quotes of the law in the Gospel of John. The other three Gospels have many direct quotes. Gospel of John, none. So you could make the argument, well, the Gospel of John doesn't really care about the law, but that's not really accurate. Because what the Gospel of John does is it shows you this world, this symbolic world, where the symbols associated with the law are important. Let me give you an example. Jesus changes the water into wine at the wedding in John chapter 2. The only way Jesus does this, I won't say it's the only way Jesus could have done it, but the way Jesus does this, the way he turns water into wine, is by using these big jars that are there. And John wants to help us, wants to make sure that we know and help us understand that these jars are used for purification rituals. Those purification rituals come from the law. That's where they were born of. So, John is using this symbol, these, these, these jars of the law to help us see Jesus doing something new and different. Jesus creates these empty, apparently, jars, fills them, transforms the water into wine, and creates abundance out of them. John uses the symbols of the law to help us understand who Jesus is. John also has a higher emphasis on the festivals that Israel would celebrate. Now, these festivals that Israel would celebrate, 
Those festivals come from the law. That's where we learn about the festivals. So Jesus' time is structured according to the law. The more and more you look at this, the more you realize you can't understand the world of the New Testament without looking at the law, without digging into these legal texts in the Bible that may seem so boring and monotonous to us, but in Jesus' world, they were anything but boring and monotonous. I have to say, this has been a personal crusade of mine, actually, helping churches understand how important it is that we look at these legal texts, that we understand them. Because few churches actually do. Now, as I say all that, there's a few things that I just want to make very clear. I do not believe that the law applies to us today as it did to ancient Israel. That's not what I'm saying here. I'm not saying that we all now need to go and set up the altar as it's described, that we all need to create the tent of meeting or the tabernacle, and that we need to start sacrificing animals regularly. That doesn't make any sense. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm arguing. I'm not saying that we need to go to the law to even look for moral instruction, per se, for ourselves, at least. I don't think that that makes a lot of sense. The, these laws, the, the biblical texts, they were written in a world very different from our own. And they were given to Israel to help Israel have its identity as God's people for a specific time. The time has now changed. And our authority, as Mark tells us, is Jesus. And we look to the law in as much as Jesus looked to the law. And we look to the law in the ways the New Testament teaches us to look to the law. So I'm not saying that we follow it exactly. And that's not the point here. My point here is the law reveals to us God's intentions as John Calvin has said, the law reveals to us the character of God and the will of God. And it reveals to us the way in which God wants to be in relationship with us and how we can be in relationship to one another. One thing that many younger Christians and other churches have talked about for, for decades now is the idea of justice and living in just societies. In a few weeks, we're going to actually get to what's called the year of Jubilee and looking at that picture of really how money and property rights and human interactions are supposed to be lived out. I think the law gives us a glimpse of how we are to live as God's just people. And that that's a better idea of justice than anything we could come up with on our own, anything we could make up on our own. So, the law. We're going to be looking at it now the next three weeks. We're going to be doing three weeks in Leviticus, folks. I say that hoping that our church attendance doesn't plummet in the next three weeks from people anticipating that. Bear with me through this. In fact, I don't think you're going to need to bear with me through this. My goal is by the time we're done, four weeks from now, 
you are all looking at the book of Leviticus saying, oh my gosh, that is actually very interesting. And not only that, you're looking at this book and you're looking at legal texts and you're saying, I have a deeper understanding of what God is willing to do to be in relationship with us. The New Testament writers understood the law in that way. And that informs the gospel that they passed down to us. So I look forward to the next few weeks, looking at the law, looking at legal texts, and looking at them alongside the New Testament as well. So God bless you all, and I look forward to talking with you next week.